Hello, and welcome to The Exit, presented by Flippa, the number one platform to buy and sell online businesses. Flippa manages over a billion in deal value annually and combines expert buy and sell side advisory with its market-leading valuation tool, deal room, off-market offering, market insights, and AI-based deal-by-deal matching engine. Now for The Exit. The Exit is a 30-minute podcast featuring awesome entrepreneurs who have been there and they have done it. The Exit talks to operators who have bought and sold businesses of all different sizes. You learn how they did it, why they did it, and get exposure to the world of Exits. It's a world occupied by a small few, but accessible to many. On this episode, I sit down with Stuart Prestige. He's an awesome entrepreneur who's currently running multiple startups, but is mostly focused on being a software startup coach. He helps a lot of founders go from their idea stage all the way to product launch. He's a really great guy, and we talk from his early days of getting started in business and really just how he ramped up from an initial exit that was what you could call a little bit unorganized, where he learned a bunch, all the way to a really well-designed exit to Citrix. And it's a great story about how he was prepared, keeping his documents and everything in order, and how he stayed there for three years at Citrix. And his job description was literally do what you do best, was what they provided him with after the exit. So he built out a great team. We talked about how, you know, one of the key parts to a startup is just not necessarily having all rock stars, but just having people that work together really well. And when you're in the trenches of building a business from scratch, you just have to be, you know, cohesive and working together in a really fluid way and learning together, not being afraid to make mistakes and learning from those failures. So really cool conversation. I really like what Stuart is doing to help software startup founders and just getting out there with products. So without further ado, let's sit down here on the exit and go through Stuart Presigid's story. All right, everyone. I am here with Stuart Prestige, and he is the software startup coach and founder of multiple awesome startups. How are you doing, Stuart? I'm very good, thank you. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. I'm excited to unpack a lot of your successes and your exit. But before we get to that, let's talk about your background. What got you into business and entrepreneurship? Well, I started my first startup actually 35 years ago, which is a Quite a long time ago, but even before that, I knew that I always wanted to create my own businesses. I think it was my dad that uh, he had his own businesses, and uh, you know, I saw the benefits of that. So I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And uh, the first official, the first official company was uh, when I was eighteen, uh, thirty-five years ago. Nice, nice. And I guess what was the first success of? of business, of, you know, your first kind of big run? Well, we kind of, we kind of, uh, in terms of um, the very first thing, we started on games, early days, and we won awards for games. So we're not financially successful, but, uh, you know, a real boost to, uh, you know, to the company. And then we we created a product called Office Talk, my, my partner and I, um, which was, for its day, very successful. It was, you can run a business on it. 
Um, but the first, I would say, real financial success was with um, a software suite that we wrote, I think it was around 2000. Um, it was a collaboration suite and it, allowed, it had a mail server and it had um, ability to share Outlook data. So very much in the productivity space. And uh, we, we started to see a lot of traction with that, uh, with that particular set of products. Nice. Very nice. And I think, you know, when people start seeing things like a, you know, a financial motivation, you could say, like a financial mm-hmm. win, um, you know, I think KPIs often can be moved around or massaged. So I'd love to understand what you guys were tracking that defined success because financial success is pretty straightforward. But as a business with your first successful company, what were, what were the KPIs? Like, what were you guys tracking to define it? Well, it was very simple back in those days. Um, so, revenue, number of users, and we would um, we used Google when Google um, Ads first came out, and we were at one point, I believe, we were one of the highest spending customers of Google Ads in the UK, and there was a kind of a four times ROI on the uh, on the spend. So we were, you know, we were very lucky to get in early there. Um, So very simply, just high quality software and, you know, keeping customers happy and then just trying to market to find new customers. Nice. Very nice. And let's talk about the, the exited company, how that began, how that formed and how you grew that. Okay. Well, there's a good story about this. I was on holiday. I think this was back in 2008. And, you know, when the, when the app store first came out and my, my business partner, Simon, phoned me up and I remember to this day, I haven't got a very good memory, but I remember this phone call, Stuart, there's no spreadsheet for the, on the app store. So I said, okay, give me a week and I'll write the engine. Um, so we started while I was on holiday, actually, um, started writing the engine for the spreadsheet and, um, Simon, my partner, um, he, wrote the front end for the spreadsheet app in about four weeks. And then roughly six weeks after that phone call, maybe six to eight weeks after the phone call, we had the spreadsheet app on the app store within the first thousand apps. So we had a three, three digit app number <laughs> and we kind of grew from there. We grew from there. So I can, I can tell you more, you know, how it progressed if you like. Nice. Yeah. Like how did you scale the team up? Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so um, we started off with a small team, and we had early success with Spreadsheet. Um, we were number one productivity app in, I think, about 20 countries for many, many weeks. Wow. Um, so we were doing well with that. So we managed to grow a small team, and we added – so we then added support for Microsoft um, Spreadsheets. And we added support for, so we had Microsoft calling us saying, uh, can you can you read and write from OneDrive, please? We'll give you the support to do that. You know, they saw that we were successful. They wanted us, you know, they contacted us and wanted us to um, integrate with OneDrive. We had Google contacting us saying, please, can you port this to Android, which was um, quite new back in those days. So they sent us a brick <laughs> that we ported to. Um, um. And luckily, I designed the engine to be cross-platform, which back in those days, you know, these days it's commonplace, but back in those days, it wasn't really a thing. But I deliberately did that to allow us to port to other platforms. Uh, I think Microsoft, you know, the, the Microsoft uh, um, platform was, was 
around at that time, but also server side. So, um, you know, we were thinking about, we were thinking ahead, you know, it's a big thing for me to try to future-proof technology. And uh, yeah, we added, we added Word, uh, document editing, PowerPoint editing. But what really set us, what really set the growth of the company off was when um, uh, Google purchased our competitor. Mm. And um, they cancelled all the third-party contracts, sort of across the board. So we had all these companies coming to us saying, we need to have editing of um, Office you know, documents in our, in our apps, which we had before, but we don't have now. Can we integrate your app? And, and as I said, we, we tried to make our software flexible. So we had, um, we had as well as the actual app, we had um, created um, a widget. So they could just drop it in, and we we then just were having lots and lots of contracts. So we we took the risk, decided to invest in the company, and grow the team quite uh, quite quickly. Nice. I think that's when we caught the attention of, of uh, not just Citrix, but um, a number of other companies that were, you know, realizing the success we had and, and, and the value that we uh, brought. Got it. Very cool. I think um, you know often. When a big shift like that happens, because it sounds like Google just nuked all the contracts with third parties right after they did the acquisition to bring it, I guess, in-house, you could say. And that's a, kind of a scary moment uh, for a lot of small companies because you, yeah, it gives you like this sort of aha moment where you're like, oh, wow, the biggest, one of the biggest companies on earth is kind of competing now with us, you know? Yeah. Well, I've throughout my whole career, I've been competing with Google, competing with Microsoft, not so much Apple, but always sort of leapfrogging them. You know, we were ahead of the game, and then Microsoft will come out with, and then we, you know, so we always, so you know, although you know they've got the might, um, you know, we've got the the agility and the nimbleness, so we we always competed with them in the productivity area. So it's kind yeah. of we're kind of used to it. You know, it's scary at times, but we're kind of used to uh, having the rug pulled out uh, from under us by Google or Microsoft. Nice. So let's talk about the initial conversations with the the acquiring company. Was it you know a, a, a flurry all at once? Was it slow? Did you shop it around after that initial conversation? No, it was it was kind of a bit of a whirlwind. Honestly, I mean, my memory is not very good at the best of times, but it was, um, we didn't reach, you know, we were approached by a number of companies, actually. Um, we were having co- having conversations with, with a number of companies, and we'd signed an exclusivity deal with Citrix. So we never quite got a bidding war going, as it were. Um, but, um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was um, quite a, What's the right word? <laughs> Tumultuous time, you know, of uh, conversations and um, you know, making sure that everything was was in order, for, you know, ready for if if someone made an offer to us. Um, and uh, yeah, we had lots of conversations with quite a number of quite a number of companies uh, before the exclusivity was signed. Nice, and I think that's always a healthy healthy approach to it. How did you guys back into valuation? Like when you were going towards, you know, conversations with them. Yeah, that's a difficult one. We we had previously done an exit, um, but it was a smaller exit. So um, Simon was kind of, uh, you know, he's he is the kind of more of the business head than me. 
you know, I'm, I'm tech with a bit of a business head. He's, he's business with a bit of a tech head. So he dealt with the kind of negotiation. Uh, but I don't think we, I don't think it was a, you know, a negotiation where we had a lot of leverage. So it was more a case of, you know, waiting to see what we were offered. But, um, you know, we knew that the tech had value. Uh, I think at the height, the height, I believe that um, across the range of the the spreadsheets and documents and PowerPoint and the, and the suite, I think we had 11 million users at the height. So, wow. um, you know, we knew that software was valuable and we hadn't tapped into the value of the server side, even though we knew the technology can run server side, you know, been tested on laptops or you know, servers. Yeah, so we didn't, you know, we didn't sort of have a massive amount of leverage, but at the same time, we knew that the value, you know, we knew the value was there and that the, you know, the value that was offered was, was, was good. We were, we were happy with that. Got it. Going to take a quick break here from the show, and we'll be back in one second. I want to talk quickly about first access from Flippa, where you get deals first, 21 days before the rest. You gain an edge, you can beat out competition. And if you have ever used a marketplace before, you know that there is a ton of momentum going on right now, where there are multiple bids going in on every single SaaS business or e-com business, and it's just chaos, usually. So subscribing to First Access on Flippa gets you everything that you need first. You get to see everything. You get to engage with the most motivated buyers before everything goes out to the marketplace. And this is such a cool edge for even the biggest of institutions all the way down to the individuals. You get to save 16% annually, and it's $9.90 for a yearly subscription and $99 for a monthly subscription. That's the 21-day head start. You get to see these released almost immediately to you first, and you get this instant confidential listing access. So that means you get to skip the NDA. If you guys have ever used Flippa before, you will understand the agony that goes into trying to sign an NDA and waiting for a seller to approve it. This bypasses that whole step and makes it super, super easy and clean and easy to use. So you get to earn the premium buyer status and stand out among the rest, where if I'm a seller and I'm looking to sell something on Flippa, I see someone with the premium buyer status and boom, I know that they have gone through everything that needs to be vetted through the Flippa first access process. So you can discover Flippa exclusives and see all of the behind the closed doors deals for only premium buyers by subscribing for only 99 bucks a month. So definitely check that out with the link in the show notes or also go to flippa.com slash product slash first dash access. That is where you guys can learn more and you can see it in action. You can see all the things that you can get into on there. So once again, flippa.com slash product slash first dash access. And the, the deal itself, was there an earn out where you had to stay there for a certain period of time? Did the yes. whole team come over? Was it a percentage it left? Yeah, most of the team. I, you know, there are some stories there, but I unfortunately probably can't share them. There was there were some hairy moments, but most of the team decided to come over, which was nice. And um, you know, like I say, there were there was some there were some moments there because that was a condition of the sale to have a certain percentage of people come over. And I have to be careful here because there are some things I'm not allowed to say. But it was nice uh, that they did. 
And yes, there was an earnout. So we had um, there were certain features in Excel, certain advanced features that were not in the spreadsheet. And um, you know, Citrix wanted the fully, fully featured. So we had a couple of years to make sure that um, you know to make sure it was fully compatible with all of those advanced features, which we did. You know, it was a, it was a, it's a very complex piece of software. Um, one of the decisions we had to make, I had to make, was do I replicate the Excel bugs or not? Make it work as it should or make it work as Excel works? So that was uh, interesting. But uh, we got there. Yeah, we got there. We um, added all the complex features um, and uh, everybody was happy. Nice. And how long did you stick around uh, at the at the company? So about three years, just under three years. Um, I actually love working for Citrix. It's a great company. And um, after the earn out, they... they created a role for me because I didn't quite fit the mold. I'd never worked for anyone and, uh, you know, I didn't quite fit the mold. And that my job um, my job description was go and do what you do best. So I was uh-huh. kind of let loose on the whole company to go and um, make sure all the projects were done properly, um, make sure that all the sort of CTO level tech leads were communicating, you know, and sharing learnings and, and best practices and uh, technology and you know, try to get involved on, in the ground up for the, the strategic and the, the sort of technical design level for uh, for all of the pro- products. Because Citrix has quite a lot of uh, products, and they're very good at innovation. They're very good at uh, creating a small team to try out things, and that's where I would get involved just to m- just to make sure that you know some of the common mistakes um, were not made. Got it. Very cool. Do what you do best. I like that. Yeah, I love, I love it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good job description. So. Let's shift gears to timing-wise. I think a question that I get a lot, I know a lot of people are, are thinking that are watching or listening to this about when the right time is and you having multiple exits, when's the right time and why was it the right time for you guys? That's a hard one to answer. You know, ultimately, you know, we love, I love creating software, creating businesses, you know, have to make a living need to put you know food on the table so you you know you're not i don't do it just for the money i do it because i love creating things love helping people making people's lives better but but ultimately there's that sort of goal of selling the company or ipoing for some people and yeah it's a difficult one to answer actually in terms of timing i think you know definitely it's best if you can wait until you're approached um, rather than going out seeking a purchaser or, um, you know, because you, you've got slightly more leverage, um, I think. And and it's best, I always think it's best to try to think ahead, to, to build into future-proof products, to think about where where the strategic value might be for companies. You know, we definitely did that with um, uh, Spreadsheet became Sheet Squared, became Office Squared, and the company was White Squared. But um, we definitely did that. We thought ahead and tried to add strategic value so that there was more of a chance. And we did that with some other products as well, and we had some other very near misses. Uh, Yeah, I probably haven't got time now, but we had a very near miss with Google. Um, um, But we wouldn't have come anywhere close if we hadn't added strategic value. Mm. But timing... Mm. You know, software shouldn't be rushed, in my opinion, and, and startups can't be rushed. They do take time, especially if you want if you do things properly. But that's an investment in time, in my opinion, because 
It's all very well getting something quickly, but when you come to sell, you've got all the due diligence to do, rightly so. And if you've taken many shortcuts, that will show up. You know, that will show up, and then you will either not sell or, or um, you know, valuation will be reduced. So it's good to take the time to do things properly, in my opinion. And then, you know, like with us, the due diligence for um, the Citrix sale was very straightforward because we'd had a previous exit that was very painful due diligence-wise in terms of the documentation. We'd learned from that, um, and we kept all our documentation, all our processes in order so that the tech DD and the the general DD for um, the Citrix sale was, you know, relatively straightforward. Got it. And how about... How about preparedness? I think that's a question I love to ask because everybody has a unique take on how they are preparing companies from day one or right beforehand. So what kind of tips can you share on being prepared and how to how to prepare yourself? Yeah. I'm one for I'm one for doing things properly from day one, which automatically prepares you, I believe. Now it does slow you down, and I know that there's a trend towards lean and agile, but but that tends to lead to shortcuts, and I know um, you know people want to get their their product market fit as soon as possible and get to MVP as soon as possible. But it doesn't take that long to do things properly, um, you know, to make sure that you know what the processes are, to make sure that you've covered all the legal and compliance stuff, to document these things, to document your technology, even at high level to just remain organized, um, to keep all your contracts in order. You know, you'll always have licenses and things like that. It doesn't take that long. You just have to be disciplined. And if you can do that, not only will you save time and real stress when you come to exit, you're more likely to exit, I believe, and more likely to, um, you know, have a, a fair and reasonable valuation. Yeah, keeping track of everything in a data room and everything like that as you go is a huge value. Yeah. Like even updates to shareholders and things like that, just keeping it all uh, organized is so key. So key. Well, that takes us to the finale question. Knowing what you know now, what would you tell Stuart 10 years ago? I would tell myself to go back another 10 years and tell my 20-year-ago self to um, do more networking join more communities and perhaps create more communities and take advice where appropriate. Don't just rely on doing it yourself, learning things yourself, making mistakes yourself. Um, You know, I did that. And so it's taken me, you know, a long time to get where I am now. Um, And I'm I'm now realizing that, uh, you know, help and community from others, you know, networking and, and community and getting help and giving help as well, very important, um, is invaluable. And not just not just from the um, practical point of view, you know, the practical decisions, etc., but also from the morale point of view, um, you know, from, from that sort of the mindset side of things, the, the confidence side of things. Mm. So I think that Definitely. And I would also tell myself, because I started doing this after my first exit, which was around 2009, 2010. And um, I would tell myself, you know, 20 years ago, do things properly and, you know, prepare as you go along. And it will save you a big headache because that first exit was um, 
quite stressful. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, cool. I mean, it's some great, great tips. I like the preparedness aspect of it. And one bonus question that I always like to to ask towards the end for people that are listening through all the way here is, uh, what was the most impactful hire that you had? I mean, everybody has kind of their their view as to who really helped them while they were in the trenches of building a business. But what could you share around hiring and, and who your, your sort of key hires were? Well, I shouldn't admit this. I would say that was my weakest area is hiring. And we ended up with a good team, with a really strong, good team. But I made a lot of mistakes along the way. And I don't think we had any superstars but I don't think that matters. It's more important that you have a team that works well together, that, that makes up for each other's strengths and weaknesses. So, yeah, I think that's my answer. The, the higher was we ended up with a good team. You know, no particular superstars, but that doesn't matter. Yeah, people willing to work together and figure things out together is usually the the best route, yeah. especially in the, the early, smaller team days. Um, and one... Yeah. One misstep and one bad bad apple can really uh, <laughs> yeah. really change the trajectory. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, cool. That leads us to what you're working on now. What can you share with what you're building? Yeah. So um, I actually spend most of my time helping other founders and CTOs and CEOs, and you know, it's one of my core values is to help people. So I, that's really in alignment with uh, with that. And I realize now that I absolutely love helping people. So I do advising, mentoring, anywhere from idea stage right the way through to exit stage. And, you know, I love doing that and, and helping people and giving value. And then the other, the other side of that is I am just in the process of launching an update to my um, training and coaching programs um, to help founders to get from idea to launch. So early stage founders. Because I, there are so many avoidable mistakes um, that I, I've made and I don't want others to make that are very, very expensive and risk of failure. So I'm, I'm kind of on a mission to help founders to get to launch you know, with a high-quality product, low-cost, low-value through, through my program. Um, you know, companies fail to get traction. They fail you know, on, a, on a business side, but they should never fail to get to launch. Yet I see it time and again. So yeah. that's... Through my advising and mentoring and through my training and coaching programs, you know, my aim is to help founders succeed. Got it. Very cool. Very cool. Well, those are all the questions I have for you, Stuart. Where can people go and learn more? Uh, LinkedIn. Go to LinkedIn. That's the starting place. Always connect with me. Reach out to me. I'm, you know, I love, um, I love Speaking to people, you know, understanding understanding their situation, their needs. Um, you know, I'm very approachable. So start there, and uh, you know, any more materials or websites, I can, you know, my LinkedIn page points you to places, and we can have a conversation. Nice. So that's the place. Yeah. So if you can share my LinkedIn uh, link, that would be lovely. Thank you. Very great. Well, wherever you guys are listening on iTunes or Spotify, Stuart's links will be in the show notes. But thanks so much for coming on and sharing your exit story. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.